0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Here on the Beeson Podcast today, I have a very special guest. She's been with us once before, a very special friend of mine, Dr. Anne-Marie Kidder. Thank you for being with us again on the Beeson Podcast. It's
1: my pleasure.
0: Dr. Anna-Marie Kidder uh, is a native of Germany. Uh, she grew up in that country from the city of Ulm. She studied in Berlin. She came to America on a Rotary Fellowship. She has a background in journalism and theology, has written a number of books. And when you were with us before, we talked about some of the things you've written on confession and celibacy and the life of faith, uh, the, the spiritual dimension of the Christian faith. Uh, Today, our focus is just a little bit different. This podcast is being recorded on February 22nd. Now, for Americans, if that means anything at all, it might mean some association with uh, President's Day or something like that around this time of the year. But February 22nd is also the anniversary of the execution of a young woman named Sophie Scholl and her brother, Hans Scholl who were put to death in 1943 in Nazi Germany. And Anne-Marie has been with us this day to talk about the legacy of Sophie Scholl, the sanctity of life, and why we today should be concerned about her. So Anne-Marie, tell us just a little bit of the story of Sophie Scholl and why that matters to us today.
1: Well, Sophie and Hans Scholl uh, had formed a resistance group, a Nazi resistance group, they were both students at the University of Munich. They had been raised in a home that read the Bible and discussed issues of pacifism, social justice, and felt increasingly that they needed to speak up, even at the risk of their lives. Why does it matter today? Because I, I, there are some similarities, perhaps not as clear, are we uh, under a threat, but we are really surrounded by a culture that is secular that takes for granted a life of convenience and comfort and uh, uses the Christian faith perhaps as a as a way um, to climb up to to self uh, uh, um, heal to for self help but not um, a faith that is costly um, not a faith that places Christ as the one who is the king of kings and lord of lords and so in that sense we swim in a sea um, not unlike those of uh, people who were uh, threatened in their lives and whose faith was threatened we also swim in a sea mm. of um uh, um, a threat to who Christ is yeah. and who Lord yeah. of Life
0: is. This group, Hans and Sophie Scholl, and their friends, there were several others involved with them, the group was called the White Rose. Why was that name chosen?
1: Hans had uh, read a romance novel, I believe, that uh, dealt with a rose. But p- more important is perhaps the name White because he felt white was what a page looked like, a white page. And a white page does not yet contain a lie.
0: And so it was a sense of uh, an appeal to something that was pure and pristine, that stood over against the lies that Mm -hmm. were surrounding them in that particular time in culture. Now, this semester at Beeson Divinity School, we're spending uh, almost the entire semester thinking about Uh, The Confessing Church, uh, the Barman Declaration that was issued in 1934 by Karl Barth and other uh, theologians of the church that came together to make that very important statement. What does the story of Sophie Scholl and the White Rose have to do with the Confessing Church and the Barman Declaration?
1: Well, the uh, uh, Confessing Church was a movement uh, to which eventually one fourth of all protestants belonged approximately one fourth of the pastors and leaders in the churches and it was aimed at replacing the um german christians german christians had been uh was a was a group that supported the Uh, the the Protestantization and the uh, the Nazi Reich uh, streamlining uh, by Hitler. And so it was a protest to Hitler and to a national Protestant church that Hitler had formed. Uh, So a a good-sized group of Protestants belonged to the confessing church. Belonging to the confessing church by implication meant that one resisted a Nazi church that was buying into a theology that was uh, a theology of blood and soil and that equaled uh, the chancellor's uh, person with that of a savior, Jesus Christ.
0: One of the things the Nazi... uh effort to Nazify the church, the German Christian movement, wanted to devalue the Old Testament. And in, in some, uh, recommendations, actually to remove it from the canon of Christian mm-hmm. scripture and to take out, uh, Hebrew words like hosanna or hallelujah. Um, and uh, yet Sophie Scholl, I know, had a real devotion to the Psalms and to reading the scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so there was a built into this kind of principled resistance was an appeal to the authority of God's word and the importance of the scriptures in the Bible uh, for sustaining her and her brother in that time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And also there was a connection, I think, with Bonhoeffer. Tell us about that. That was fascinating.
1: The group had set up a meeting with uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Unfortunately, that uh, meeting fell on February twenty-fifth, 1943, three days after she and Hans, and the other members were already uh, convicted and had been executed. The connection with Bonhoeffer was that to them he was the uh, the spear the spearhead, uh, one of the most outspoken critics of Hitler. He was prominent. In the, uh, the Reich, he was he was not only prominent as a pastor and resister, but also as a, um, as a theologian who put meat to the argument of, on why it was critical to resist. That it was either, one was either a, uh, resister or one was not a Christian.
0: The opening lines of his great book, Nachfolge in German, or we say the cost of discipleship in English, was the the point that the great struggle for which the church is fighting today is the struggle for real grace, and the temptation we have is to fall into cheap grace. Mm -hmm. And so it was a call really uh, to come out and to take a strong stand, a costly stand, uh, for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the church when it was under assault. Mm-hmm. And one thing about Bonhoeffer, I wonder if you would comment on this with reference to him, but also perhaps Sophie Scholl and her brother. Um, Bonhoeffer uh, was a one of the few early German theologians who opposed Hitler's move against the Jews as a people. Mm-hmm. Now, there were many who said well, Hitler shouldn't bother the church, should leave Mm -hmm. us alone, or even who would defend uh, German uh, Jews who had become Christians. But Bonhoeffer took it a step further early on Mm -hmm. and said that this is a violation against uh, every person made in the image of God.
1: Yes, yes. I believe in 1935 he already spoke out against Uh, The the singling out of the Jews by Hitler, and he impressed upon the confessing church to take a stand, and they did in 1936, but to his taste, not strong enough.
0: Now, when we think about the sanctity of life today, we often associate that, particularly in this this day and time, and I think rightly so, uh, with the kind of uninhibited uh, practice of abortion in our country. Uh, but of course, in the, in Nazi Germany, it, it did have that uh, connotation as well, particularly because, uh, the Nazis, um, provided and encouraged abortion for those, uh, who were not able to bear healthy children, mm-hmm. for those who might bring to life those who were unworthy of life. Yes,
1: yes. Uh,
0: but it wasn't only abortion. It mm-hmm. also extended to uh, the aged, the mm-hmm. weak, the mentally, uh, uh, challenged and deficient, mm-hmm. uh, talk a little bit about that whole struggle for the sanctity of life in that context.
1: This actually was an effort that that lasted for only about one year. In 1941, the uh, measures, Hitler had taken measures to purify the race by extending his racial policies from the Jews and gypsies uh, and others to include those who were not healthy, who were not fully human by his definition, who were not 100% contributing to the welfare of the state. And it was at that point that the, uh, perhaps most outspoken critic, uh, was the Bishop of Münster, uh, Van Gallen, who was later also called the Lion of Münster. Mm-hmm. He had enough clout in the bishopric and also with the Holy See in Rome to be uh, able to, uh, have the, the, the backing, uh, to be heard. Uh, he unabatedly spoke from the pulpit about this, uh, this abuse and, and, uh, did so in light of the scriptures, in light of the sanctity of life. And as a result, many of his sermons were circulated. They had been circulating since 1936. He had already been then the official resistor, uh, to Hitler. And it was these sermons that, as they were being circulated, that sparked in Hans Scholl the idea to uh, compose leaflets because he felt all you needed was a mimeograph machine Uh and you were on the way.
0: So he really had an inspiration in the, in the beginning of the White Rose movement itself. Yes. They read yes. his material and, yes. and then distributed that to others. Yes. So. Yes. And, and that raises an interesting question. We've talked about Bonhoeffer and the Scholes, and they were Protestants. They were brought up in a Protestant yes. uh, Lutheran tradition. Um, but von Galen of course, was a Catholic. And there were many other Catholics who also sacrificed a great deal in resisting uh, Hitler and the Nazis. I'm thinking particularly of uh, Father Delp. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about him and and other Catholics that you have studied in Mm -hmm. your work on this period. Yes. who showed great courage and faith as well.
1: Yes. Well, Hitler had to tackle the church in different ways. The Protestants he tackled by assigning a a, a church minister and creating a national Protestant church, thereby taking over. The Catholics he sought to tackle uh, with... uh, directly approaching the Pope because every bishop, of course, had a mandate from the Pope. And uh, so the concordat that uh, uh, was signed in 1933, in June actually, uh, was really the first move. The Catholics were the first to be uh, um, challenged by Hitler, so to speak. Within two years, he violated every... uh, Promise that had been made in the Concordat, and uh, so if you, one could say that it was really the the Catholics first that were taken for a ride and were violated, because mm-hmm. there had been a clear clear pact, a clear agreement, yeah. and so the uh, leading among these uh, uh, critics were uh, von Galen in Munster. Uh, Bishop Pricing in Munich mm-hmm. and Alfred Delp was of the southern province of the Jesuits whose headquarters were in Munich. Mm-hmm. So Delp had the backing of Pricing all along who stood up, uh, he and von Gallen. Tell really us what good.
0: happened to Father Alfred uh, Delp. Uh,
1: well, Alfred Delp uh, was a Jesuit, and he uh, was uh, serving a parish in Munich. In- interestingly enough, I don't, he knew of the White Rose. Uh, they were uh, close together, Were uh, I mean geographically in Munich, uh, but it do not, does not appear that they met. Uh, delp uh, was uh brought into a, a resistance movement uh that uh, you know, eventually plotted the death of hitler um che- uh, spearheaded by uh uh von stauffenberg mm-hmm. and so uh delp met stauffenberg uh once or twice he was at the um uh, at several of their meetings in uh in von on Moltke's, uh, von Moltke's estate. Uh but interestingly it, uh, enough is that Delp was introduced to the um uh the circle, Kreisau Circle mm-hmm. of which he was part. By his own provincial, that is, his own, um, the superior of the order.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting to me that uh, you Protestants and Catholics, of course, have a long history of animosity going back to the Reformation. But in some ways, though the differences still even remain today, this crucible of suffering in mm-hmm. the Third Reich. I was able to bring together Protestants and Catholics who share a common vision of belief in Jesus Christ, love for the scriptures, and concern for every human person made in the image of God. I'm thinking of Bonhoeffer, for example, who... Uh, spent time in a monastery, in Ettal, a Catholic mm-hmm. monastery, mm-hmm. and there was uh, deepened in his own appreciation of the question of the sanctity of life as it related to abortion, which he later wrote about in Ethics. Yes. So yes. Uh, th- this, this crucible of suffering was a way of a kind of practical ecumenism, you might mm-hmm.
1: say. Yes. Yes, very much so. Yes.
0: I want you to talk a little bit uh, about yourself as a German woman. It's interesting to those of us who are in America today, we grow up in a different culture, and we see these old movies about Hitler and the mm-hmm. Nazis, and it seems very distant and far away. Uh, and, of course, you're much, much younger not to have lived through that period of time, and yet you did grow up in Germany, in this mm-hmm. same country. You know this culture. Of course, it's your culture. In fact, you are from the same hometown, Ulm, mm-hmm. of Sophie Scholl and Hans Scholl. So, say a little bit about what is it like to be a German, a German woman, growing up in that culture and facing these kinds of issues as as a German, as a woman, and as a Christian.
1: I went to the, to school in the nineteen sixties and seventies, and my training in history uh, involved the Third Reich. Uh, so that's not to say that we were well informed. That is to say that we were saturated with the history of the Third Reich. It seems to me that it took two generations for a, a new era to arrive where where we can look at this heritage and not be um, turned off by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. For the longest time, I know my own classmates and myself we did not want to pick up another book and on on the Nazi era and when I came here, I could not understand how anyone would want to read about <laughs> it or mm-hmm. watch these movies. Mm-hmm. I think uh, two generations is uh, is a long enough time uh, to have gained enough distance and also to look at it especially from the perspective of the Christian faith because it was about Christianity. A great deal of it was about Christianity. Hitler had no use for the Christian faith and, in fact, was determined to eradicate all his opponents uh, and the opponents most definitely were to be found in the church, yeah. uh, so I think this is a good time now to revisit again, um, growing up for me in Germany, with uh, the Jewish question meant you never raised the flag, never talked about a form of patriotism because that bordered too closely to nationalism. All my family were suffered under Hitler. Some, uh, died, uh, during the war, uh, were either, uh, harmed or suffered for the rest of their lives from the consequences of either the first war or both wars. So there wasn't, we lived with that memory, uh, that was, that was present. And today, uh, if one goes to Germany, the major sites, Berlin, Munich, uh, Freiburg, uh, Ulm, uh, any town almost will have a memorial uh, to the victims, of the Nazi regime, uh, to the Jews, Plötzensee, uh, uh, the prisons. Germany is really a, a, a site of these injustices that were perpetrated. Yeah. And that, of course, is something that we as Christians live with that we we are a people who know our guilt
0: Mm. yeah
1: yeah and who also know that we have one who can remove it and has removed it already
0: and that uh, faith in jesus christ that you allude to now is something that's very much a part of your life you are a minister of the gospel a presbyterian a pastor you're also a teacher of theology, of uh, preparing students who will be pastors at the Ecumenical Theological Seminary in Detroit. Uh, but beyond these kind of official duties that you have, uh, you're also a very gifted writer and translator. Mm-hmm. And uh, today in our worship service here at Beeson Divinity School, we sang a translation you made of a very notable hymn from the time of the Third Reich. And I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about this hymn, and then we won't ask you to sing it on the Beeson (laughs) podcast. However, uh, although you may, if you wish, but uh, I think it would be great if you would read us this text. But before you do that, tell us a little bit about uh, who Rudolf Schroeder was, who wrote it, Mm -hmm. and then what this really means, this terrific text that you have translated from German into English.
1: Well, the... uh, uh The evangelical or Protestant hymnal in Germany is speckled with texts that come from the time of the Nazi era and from members of the Confessing Church. Uh, They in many ways resemble those of the great Reformation hymn writers, Mm. Paul Gerhard and Martin Luther, of course, They're, they're full of fervor and passion. They are also laced with a deep awareness of human sin and mm. sinfulness, and the the, uh, the 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 being being really weighed down by sin. And mm-hmm. I think those two those two aspects a deep awareness of human wretchedness I call it I want to call it and the other needs for salvation. Those two make for a brilliant uh, Christian hymn and hymnody.
0: So the depth of human despair, the evidence of sin and destructiveness all around us and within us on the one hand, and the overcoming grace of God on the other come together in this hymnody. So please tell us about this particular hymn. Which I think is just wonderful.
1: This particular hymn was written by a member of the Confessing Church. His name was Rudolf Alexander Schröder. It was written in 1939. And uh, Schröder was an architect, he was a painter, a poet. And interestingly enough, also a translator, Mm. in addition to being a member of the Confessing Church. The title of it is, It Could Be That Towers Fall. It could be that towers fall and the buildings tall and strong do collapse and topple over. You, though, hold on to your faith. God will never let you fall. God will keep you safe. It might be that greed, deceit, is the matter for a while. As God wills, God's gifts prevail. Do not judge what's mine or thine. Many joys are merely spurious. Let them have their time. It might be deception wins, and the righteous will be crushed. But each failure breeds division vision of God's justice in the end, and alive you climb from fire full of newfound strength. It might be the status quo, crime, and crippled thought prevail and become a common sight. Look at it and stand your ground. Only who will not be frightened will receive the crown. It might be that's how it's meant, Courage now, go move along. Fear and worries will not change it. Go press on, you will withstand. For your life and that to come, rest in God's strong hand.
0: My guest today on the Beeson podcast has been Dr. Anne-Marie Kidder. She is professor of theology at uh, Ecumenical Theological Seminary in Detroit, a Presbyterian pastor, a writer, a translator, Thank you for being here and for this very special conversation.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, Beesondivinity.com.